Welcome to episode three of Photomine Talks. My name is Matthew Jebitovsky. I'm here from Photomine's headquarters, as you can see behind me. And I'm here with Christian Napier, our guest today. He is the founder of Recanto, and he's going to tell you all about that. And we're going to get into a great, great conversation about storytelling and a little bit about the Olympics, too, maybe. Um, but I'll let him get to that. So uh, without further ado, thanks uh, for being here, Christian. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be your third guest, I guess. Uh, the third episode, is that what I just heard correctly? Exactly, exactly. Our third episode, you know, we're diving into various pieces of, uh, you know, the various places that Photomine touches. So whether it's photography or home, organi- home excuse me, home organizing or storytelling, as we're going to get into here. Um, you know, we want to bring people together that can uh, can kind of expand into these worlds. Um, so I figure, you know, we could start with, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself, you know, how you kind of, you know, how we connected essentially in the first place, I guess, even, even before then. All right. Well, thanks, Matthew. I really appreciate it. So uh, if you recall, we connected at Roots Tech. Um, Roots Tech is the world's largest genealogy and family history conference. And... Uh, you were uh, your company Photomine was a sponsor there and i was an exhibitor there or our company raconto uh was an exhibitor there and so we made the connection there i was very interested in <clears throat> the services that uh, your company is providing to people uh to to really uh manage and curate and and make beautiful and available their their visual assets and you know from visual historical assets i guess i would say and and you know, we come from a background of of oral history and storytelling as a way to help people capture those those memories. So we thought there, I thought there could be some kind of complementary fit between the 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 offerings that we provide to this particular market, and so that's kind of uh, how we established our connection. And here we are today having a conversation. I know it's kind of wild, huh? Um, so I guess, where, how did you get into, uh, you know, recording family stories? What was the, you know, the impetus, the thing that kind of brought you to, and you're like, well, we need to get a little bit more into this. Oh, well, that's a great question. Uh, it really started for me. Uh, my, my father was a huge genealogy buff and he did like all the genealogy for the family. And so I just kind of left it to him and I didn't really think much of it. And in my career, uh, I was really focused on, uh, doing my work with, uh, large multi-sport international events, uh, primarily the Olympic Games, the Paralympic Games. And part of the work that I uh, embarked on doing, I guess about six years ago, was helping the International Olympic Committee capture the stories and experiences from the various host cities, the, the organizing committees that stage these games. And so... I would go out and interview the heads of all the departments in an organizing committee. And that might, you know, from the early days, it might be 20 people. After the games are over, it might be 80 people. And I would conduct these interviews. And I found the stories fascinating. It was great to connect with people. As I was doing this work, I realized I've never actually captured my mother's own story. Maybe I should do that. So, So I recorded her story, and then I realized that I didn't feel like there was a real great way to share that story with people, because you could do it on social media, or you could upload it to YouTube. I just wasn't really satisfied with those things. And so after Roots Tech in 2021, which was virtual, uh, 
me participating as a person who wanted to capture people's stories realized oh, there's no real software that effectively does this and so uh, Raconto was born. Raconto is Esperanto for story and it's all built around the concept of requesting recording and sharing stories. But that was really the 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 idea behind it was to to make it easier for people to do this. Uh, and certainly I couldn't do it all myself because I'm just one person. I'm, I'm not scalable. But if I provided a platform that allowed many people to, to work on this, um, then perhaps more people could record and share their stories. And underlying all of that is the belief that I've developed over my lifetime that every individual matters. Every person's important. Their stories deserve to be preserved and shared and that's that's the driving vision behind Raconto is is to help people record those stories because they matter. They 100% do. I actually want to take you back a little bit. Um, you, you mentioned your dad. Um, and a photo of mine, we talk about this a lot, this concept of family anchors, um, this idea that every family kind of has that one person or maybe a couple people who are kind of at the center of passing down the family history. So whether it's through photos or through stories, kind of the one person that kind of everything flows through. And not only do they, you know, not only are they the ones maybe taking the photos or, or telling the stories, but also kind of, you know, keeping them in one place. So whether it's in their brain, a story or, you know, recording them. Um, so was that your father was the person in your family uh, who was kind of the family anchor? Oh yeah, most definitely. Um, and, and genealogical research and family history was definitely his passion and we all relied on him to do it. And, and he passed away a few years ago. And so since then there's been a bit of a void, you know, in our, in our family in terms of the family history and the genealogy. And, and, and I must admit that, you know, many of us have just kind of assumed, well, he's done it all. So, you know, what's, what's the point, but but, you know, after interviewing my mother and then uh, interviewing her brother, uh, there are so many stories that have not been shared uh, in our family. And so uh, I'm eager to start to dive into the stories of my family and, and pick up that torch, so to speak. That's so great. Did you find anything interesting about uh, your mom and, and her family while uh, interviewing her? Yeah, I mean, we, we both both my mother and also my brother, I mean, they have a tremendous number of stories <laughs> to tell, um, you know, and, you know, not to divulge any, any confidences or anything, but, you know, my, my, my mother and her siblings, I did not really realize this. They moved around a lot when they were children and, and, uh, that had both beneficial and detrimental effects, you know, of, of moving around. Uh, all the time and and it also helped me understand why when I was a child I moved around a lot uh, uh, I didn't realize that I probably moved around a lot because my mother moved around a lot and it was just kind of what she understood you know and and so uh, uh, you know that that's that's one simple uh, you know very very simple silly thing but but y you you start to think about why am I the way I am? You know, when, when, and, and these kinds of uh, questions begin to be answered when you start diving into your family history and you realize that uh, 
your great-grandfather did this, or your grandfather did that, or your grandmother did this, and you're like, oh, well, I see that in my own life, and I had no idea, and 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 you start to track these similarities and 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 realize where some of your characteristics may have originated, and it may not be with you. You know, they may have been passed down uh, through genetics or through uh, the the culture that you were that you were brought up in. It's, it's fascinating to me. Well, we're, we're probably not going to get into a whole conversation on uh, nature versus nurture now, but I see you're hinting at it a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, no, that's awesome. It's so true. It's it's so fascinating to look back and you, you like sometimes almost infuriatingly, right? You see and you're like, oh, that's where I get that from. Oh, man. Uh, and other times you're like, oh, that's where that came from. And it's so cool that you can, you know, through stories, uh, you can you can understand things about yourself that maybe you didn't, you didn't pick up before. Um, it's, it's really fascinating. So, you know, you start, you start with Kanto. Was there a point maybe early in your life where you felt that you had some connection to stories? Maybe like, you know, um, I guess I'm going to go back to that one. <laughs> um, so you start, you start Ricanto and you give, you know, you have a, give people an opportunity to tell their stories, but was there maybe a time back, you know, early in your life where now you looking back on it, you can say, Oh, that was kind of maybe the first moment where I was becoming a storyteller or interested in hearing how people can tell their own stories or anything like that. Uh, I never considered myself to be a storyteller. I still to this day don't really consider myself to be a storyteller. And, and and that's because I don't talk very much. I'm actually an introverted person and I'm much more comfortable listening. I grew up in a family with five, I had five sisters, I had no brothers. And so they did all the talking. And I was perfectly content to just sit in a corner and just listen to the conversation. And I think that's why uh, I find the work with the International Olympic Committee and other clients where they're telling stories and I'm helping them tell their stories, I find that quite satisfying because I'm not the person talking. I, I just ask a question and then they respond to that and I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. I, and I I think uh, part of that is I don't have to tell my own story and part of that is uh, I'm genuinely intellectually curious. I, I, I find the stories that people share to be totally fascinating and so I'm very happy to kind of, you know, quote unquote, sit behind the camera and have other people tell those stories. And that's, again, you know, that was a driving force behind starting Raconto is to give a place for people to share their stories the way they want to tell them, you know. Well, it's interesting that now the, the tables are turned a little bit, huh? Yep. Now I'm on this side and, and now I'm uh, telling my story to you. So it's a little unnatural. I, I'm today I'm interviewing people with the International Olympic Committee, uh, IOC staff and advisors who just delivered the Tokyo 2020 and Beijing 2022 games. And as part of the kind of debrief process, we we conduct interviews with with them. And so I'm the person asking the question so that you're right. This is unnatural for me to be uh actually answering the questions and not asking the questions. Well, you're doing a good job. It's all right. You don't got to worry about it. Um, you're doing great on both sides of the camera, it seems like. Um, so I actually want to ask you a little bit more about the, uh, you know, working with the IOC. When did you, you know, when did you start? How did you get involved with them at first? All right. That's a great question. 
So I actually started working in this Olympic space more than 20 years ago when I worked on the Salt Lake 2002 games. And, uh, and at that time I worked in technology, uh, prior to that, I was working for IBM and I was on the road constantly and I wanted something that was a little more stable. And there was an opportunity with the Salt Lake 2002 games to work in technology and I took it. And, uh, I've stayed in that space since then, and for a majority of that time, I've worked in an area of knowledge management where people or organizing committees, they share their knowledge with the future hosts of the games. And that's done through a variety of means. Uh, but there was a, the IOC felt like there was something missing, and that was having conversation with people uh, recorded to tell the stories and to provide some context. And so beginning with the Rio 2016 games, the IOC actually asked me, uh, they, they, they had conceived at a very high level of this project. So they asked me to help define this project, which they called structured interviews in more detail. And it was envis envisioned as a, as a, a longitudinal uh, study of the games and also as a, a knowledge transfer mechanism. And so, uh, the IOC and I, we, we started formulating what these structured interviews would look like, and we conducted them in Rio after the games had concluded. And uh, the response from that was quite positive within the IOC. They, they, they liked that, but there was a weakness, and that is it actually takes seven years to organize one of these games. And when you ask the questions at the end, it's hard to know what happened at the beginning because some of the people weren't even around at the beginning. And so they really couldn't communicate what happened in the early days of an organizing committee. So uh, after the Rio games, the, the IOC uh, suggested, you know, why don't we do these interviews at different points along the timeline of the seven years? And so uh, we now do these interviews at five different points in time throughout the seven year planning and operational life cycle of an organizing committee. And it continues to this day, you know, we're, st we're still working on that. And through the program, I guess, uh, we've interviewed more than a thousand people and uh, uh, recorded more than 20,000 responses to questions, which are all um, categorized and made available in a searchable database uh, internally uh, within the uh, International Olympic Committee. But that's basically the project and it's an absolutely fascinating project. And I really feel honored uh, to be, to be a part of it. So is it, is it more, um, is it more talking, like interviewing people to understand how to put on the Olympics or is it kind of a mix of that plus kind of what actually happened in the game? So for instance, you know, are you sitting and talking about what it took to put on the opening ceremonies and, you know, the planning of how to, you know, make sure each event goes on as, as planned, or is it in addition to that, you know, saying, Oh my God, it was amazing seeing Michael Phelps get his X amount of gold medals, for, uh, you know, in his last games, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So the questions focus on a few different aspects. So one is planning. Uh, one is the organization structure itself. Uh, there's another section of questions about resources. So budget, headcount, um, the space that you operate in on venue and the technology that you use. The fun stuff. Uh, and then, you know, there's uh, there's a section on integration, like how did you collaborate and work with other people inside of the organizing committee? How did you work together with the stakeholders and delivery partners? 
And then there's some more big picture questions, which are, uh, you know, what are the what are the big challenges that you face, the big risks that you foresaw, and what were what were the big successes? Uh, and and you ask these questions throughout the the life of the organizing committee. And uh, and then there's kind of a little section on knowledge and learning, which is, you know, what advice would you give to the next organizing committees? And uh, if you had a chance to do it again or do things again, uh, what would you do differently? Uh, those kind of more retrospective uh, kinds of questions. And the wonderful thing about this structured interview process is we ask everybody the same questions over this period of time. We spend a huge amount of time and effort to try to really craft these questions so that the responses could be assessed across departments or what they call functional areas inside an organizing committee over time. So from the beginning of a committee's life to its end and across different games editions. So how did Rio respond to these questions as opposed to Pyeongchang or Tokyo or Beijing or Paris, or Milano Cortina, or Los Angeles, who we've all done interviews with. You know, so uh, it's quite ingenious the way that the IOC has has created this program because you can you can start to see these comparisons and responses across these different dimensions. Uh, it's really really fascinating. Are you able to share any kind of things that you've seen at least from? let's say from Rio 2016 to, you know, to the most recent game, the most recent, uh, the 2020 uh, Tokyo Olympics. Um, and, you know, ch something that maybe happened there where you, because of these interviews, you were able to make changes and kind of, you know, vastly improve, uh, you know, where you were then to where you were in 2021, but, uh, but yeah, 2020 the, at the Tokyo Olympics. Yeah. That's a, that's a really interesting question. So, uh, these structured interviews they sit together with some other efforts that the that the International Olympic Committee undertakes. Uh, so there's the transfer of documents, uh, for example, uh, and uh, there is a huge amount of emphasis that's been placed uh, in the game since Rio to collect data and statistics. Uh, from all different kinds of uh, sources. Uh, and and then you have these interviews that provide some context. And they also do a, a, a really big job now. And again, this started in Rio, in capturing operational photos. And so all of these combined, uh, along with other programs that the IOC and IPC run uh, to help share knowledge, they have been, the outputs of those have been used to inform uh, some changes in the way that the, the IOC operates. Uh, so uh, they're able to look at things like ticket sales and, and so on and so forth and you know combine that with observational data to say, okay, well, we, we allocated so many tickets to to sponsors and or we all, you know so many seats to broadcaster or you know positions and tribunes to media how many of those were actually used and and so uh they've made great effort i have to say you know looking back at from the salt lake games until now the international olympic committee has made a huge effort to to make the games more efficient and sustainable for future host cities and and this, these interviews that we're 
conductee. They play a they play a small part in that. But as far as the specific stories go, I mean, like I say, I've I've got twenty thousand responses to questions, and I could go on for days <laughs> about the stories. Uh, <laughs> but but it's it's and and so it's hard for me to think of anything specific individual uh, to mention uh, at this time. But uh, most of them are behind the scenes stories. There, there are relatively few of them that talk about interacting with athletes or, you know, the things that we see on camera, because it's really much more about the behind the scenes, uh, the behind the scenes operation. Uh, what I can say is that for most people, uh, working on a games is extremely challenging physically and mentally. Uh, but many people look back on it as the, as the experience of their lives when it comes to their careers, you know, having that opportunity to work, especially if you're working, uh, with your host, if you live in that city, it's your, it's where you grew up and you have this emotional attachment. Cause some people, they come, they come in from other places because they're experts in certain areas. And so they, they help out. But for the people like me, when I was working for the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic games, I mean, it was such an amazing experience. And I remember turning to my coworker after the games were over, who sat in the cubicle next to me. And we just looked at each other and we asked each other, well, have we just, have we just seen the pinnacle of our careers? Can it get any better than this? Because this was amazing. I mean, it was absolutely amazing to be able to work on an event like that. And, and that's a common feeling among people who, who we have interviewed, who I've interviewed, uh, who who have that attachment to the to the host you know they they are you know they're working in their hometown and they're so proud of what they've delivered and and uh it's just an incredible feeling that's so great and you said you weren't a storyteller come on natural <laughs> i just listen to people <laughs> <laughs> um so i want to i want to bring it back to uh Recanto and story and, and storytelling um, you know, so obviously you guys, you give, you give people an, the opportunity to have a platform to tell their stories. Um, you know, I want to, I want to hear more about why you feel it's so important for people to record these stories. Um, because I think that, um, I mean, I know why it's important to myself, but it's almost one of those things that's hard to, uh, to verbalize. So I'm curious if you had, you know, I'm sure you've had plenty of time to think about why people should be telling their stories and recording them. Uh, you know, the simple answer is we're not here forever. And when we're gone, our stories can be lost if we don't record them or share them, you know? And when I started Raconto, my, my wife, she very openly said, you know, I, I wish that I would have had this opportunity. And, and I, you know, I guess we did have the opportunity. We just didn't really think we didn't even consider the possibility. Oh, you know, record my parents because her parents are both gone. You know, if you ask her, she would give anything to be able to have recordings of her parents telling their stories with their own voices, with their own faces. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want this to come, come off as sounding manipulative because it's not, it's just, it's just, we're here for a finite period of time and, you know, future generations actually want to hear the stories that we have lived, even if we ourselves, think that we're super boring people and we have nothing interesting to say, which is common. You know, it's common for people to say, well, you know, 
you look at famous people and you think, well, I'm not famous. I haven't done anything interesting in my life. So there's no point in recording my story because there's really nothing interesting about me. And actually, there's nothing further from the truth. Every person has unique stories to share and they should be shared. And and so, uh, you know, that's kind of the that's kind of the the lens through which I I look uh, I look at uh, storytelling these days. Thanks to technology, now it's easier. You know, it's more easy now than ever uh, to do this, uh, and and people are becoming more familiar with the technologies like Zoom or or you know TikTok, and so they're they're getting a little bit more comfortable seeing themselves on camera or hearing their voices recorded than maybe they would have been even a couple of years ago. And so I think the timing is right for for people to now uh, record and share their oral histories. So what if that's the case, then uh, what is it that I guess keeps people from doing so? You know, why don't they do it more often? Because I, I, I like you said, you know, you know, you said specifically for yourself, you're not you're not a big sh- uh, big storyteller. So I, I imagine there's plenty others who are out there who are even less willing than you are to, you know, get up in front of a camera and tell their story. So what is it, you know, what is it that kind of keeps people from doing so other than, you know, shyness or, or feeling their, maybe their stories are less interesting. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because we launched in beta January this year and people were interested in the idea of, and a tool to help them record and share their stories. And so they would sign up and we had, you know, a free account, we still do. We have a free account, and you can sign up, and you can do this. But we realized there was a very small percentage of people that were actually recording something. We're like, well, why is this? And so when we started asking the users <clears throat> that had signed up, it was really like, I'm super busy, and I'm going to get around to it. I just so life gets in the way, and recording and sharing these stories is not a priority. And <clears throat> so that is the most common. That is the most common reason. Uh, and, and shyness is another one and reticence to see yourself on camera or be recorded because in, in, in particularly for people that are introverted, like myself, uh, you can almost view telling your story as almost like a bragging kind of thing. Like I did this or I did this and it's talking about yourself a lot, which is uncomfortable. So to overcome this obstacle, um, you know, there are a range of things that we can do. One, one thing that we did in our technology is we created a, a feature called request a story. So rather than you tell a story yourself and record it, you ask somebody else to tell a story that can be included in your collection. So, you know, you can use it to ask your mom about, uh, you know, her childhood or, or a family tradition or, or whatever, or ask a group of people to record stories to, to then turn over and give to their parents, you know, for their 50th wedding anniversary or something like this. And the request a story feature, uh, you know, gives people a little bit more motivation to record something because number one, someone they know and trust is actually asking them to do it. <laughs> number two, you can actually set a deadline and say, okay, mom, uh, I need this story by, you know, the 15th of May or whatever it is. And, and so she feels like, okay, I've got to get this down. And so that Im- increases the likelihood that you'll start to get stories. And it's a great way to actually collect a lot of stories uh, in a short period of time. You can send a link out, you know, say, "Hey, you know, I'm creating a, I'm trying to capture the life story of of um, 
our grandparents who've long since passed. And so I'd like you to tell the story about them and you might ask them a, a specific story or something more general. It could be like, well, you know, what, what's, what's your first memory of, of your grandparents and, you know, those kind of things. And then you get a lot of stories and people feel more comfortable doing that because somebody else is asking them and they're actually taking the initiative rather than me personally, you know, having to take the initiative and say, okay, I'm going to do this because most people just don't. It's just not a priority. It's not really top of mind for them until they get late in life. And then usually it's a, you know, it's a child or, or a grandchild that's saying, grandpa, we need to get your story uh, recorded. Right. And then you start having conversations with grandfather. Uh, but to do it yourself, it's, it's, uh, it's not easy because it's not natural. Do you have any success stories you can share perhaps uh, from, you know, people you've worked with on, I mean, it doesn't need to be someone who maybe was hesitant to share, but just kind of like, you know, someone, someone who's user Conto to share their story, you know, some, some example. Yeah. So, you know, one of the questions about Raconto is, is, well, what if I already have a recording? Uh, can I share those using Raconto? And the answer is absolutely yes, you can do that. And we have seen now with the proliferation of Zoom and the pandemic, a lot of people having, uh, you know, family, they were initially, and I'd say it was really, really a thing the first year of the pandemic where families were getting on Zoom calls and because they couldn't get together physically. So they were having these regular Zoom calls and some still do. And uh, so Raconto is a great place to do that. Uh, a friend of mine, actually used Zoom to record a conversation about his mother. And and his mother passed away from breast cancer in 1985. And he gathered together his mother's surviving siblings and also uh, his, one of his own siblings. And they talked for two hours about stories about his mother. And, and so they had that recording and they're like, well, you know, how do I share, how do I share it? I said, well, you can throw it here on Raconto. And, uh, so they, they took that two hour recording and they broke it into 10 separate chapters. They just, you know, sliced the video into these 10 separate chapters where they were talking about different stories or different, uh, uh, yeah, stories, I guess, you know, or periods of time and, in uh, his mother's life and they and they put and he put those up on on Raconto you know so uh and and the reaction uh, from that is priceless you know so much gratitude especially from one of the the siblings you know who is getting very very old in age and and uh um you know who knows how long, how much longer uh, that person's going to be around. And so to have that recorded, it's just a, a priceless treasure for them. And I'm glad that they're able to use Raconta to share it. That's beautiful. Um, what advice do you have to those who are interested in recording their stories, but maybe don't know where to start? You know, that's a great question. And that's a reason why many people don't start is because it seems like recording your life story is such a daunting task. Like, where do I even begin? And my advice to everyone is don't worry about beginning anywhere 
Don't think that you have to do this chronologically or in any kind of order. Just start with the story that you have already told people a thousand times. You've told this story so much that people are sick of hearing it. And when you start telling the story, they tell you, hey, dad, you know, you've already told us that story before. So you're already very comfortable sharing that story. So try that one. You know, just record that one. And it may only be two minutes long or three minutes long. But then when you've done that, you've recorded it. You're like, oh, you know, that wasn't so hard. That was kind of fun, actually. I'm going to do another one. And uh, and then record another one. And before you know it, you've got a whole bunch of stories. Now, if you're, if you're the kind of person that's not, uh, that, that finds difficulty uh, to motivate yourself to do this, then get your children or your loved ones or, or friends to, to rag you on it until you do it, you know? So, uh, you know, get the support of friends and family because once you reach out and you say, Hey, I'm going to do this, then an expectation is set. And, and then, you know, okay, I need to do this because now I have family members or friends that are expecting me to do this. And that gives you a little bit more motivation to do it. But my, my general advice is just start with the, the story that you know best. The stories you know best, tell those first. And then more stories will come to mind as you, as you jog your memory and about the common story that you've told all the time. And you just kind of go from there. And, you know, if you do that once a week for a year, I mean, pretty much you got, you got, you know, 50 plus stories and, and, uh, and the people who love you or that are around you will be very, very grateful forever for you doing that. Well, I think that is absolutely beautiful and and a hundred percent on the nose. Um, I, I, yeah, honestly, I have nothing else to. I think it's a great place to end. Honestly, um, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, taking the time to speak with me and sharing, especially because, as I've said plenty of times already, that it's not natural for you. So it's really great to hear from you because just some really insightful stuff on, you know, why why it's important to do exactly this to get out there and talk about your you know yours and your family's uh, experiences or other people's or the olympics the olympic experience from behind the scenes um so i really appreciate you taking the time to uh to speak with me any any last words uh, no I, I just encourage people to do this um you'll find it quite liberating and revealing and uh you know and and it's a you know, people always wonder, well, you know, what can I get some so-and-so for Christmas? You know what? Just record your story. Record it. It's a beautiful gift that you can give to people. Uh, the experiences that you've shared, that you've lived, you know, share those experiences with those around you. Um, they will be forever grateful. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you all for joining us for this third episode of PhotoMind Talks uh, with Christian. We hope that you will join us down the road for uh, the next episode. You'll have to stay tuned to see who it is. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much.